Welcome back on the Finding Something Real podcast. This is Lou. I've been on this program before as Janelle's special co-host. Janelle's not here today. She's working on creating some special content for February. Instead, this is one of our favorite episodes from the past 15 months. You're going to love it. Enjoy, friend. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I am so thankful that you're here today. Today is a very, very special um, episode. I am so excited that we've been talking about deep faith questions here on the podcast. And I have a very special guest today that I wouldn't have on the podcast were it not for today's special co-host. Today's co-host is the youngest co-host I've ever had on this program. He's my favorite 11-year-old. He's making a funny face right now, or he was. Um, today is his first day of middle school, and he was missing a class today just to be here, and I'm so glad that he wanted to be here and that he was so interested in having today's guest on the program. Please welcome Mr. Caleb Wood. Hi. Woohoo! <laughs> Hi, Caleb. If you hadn't pushed me, I don't think I would have ever invited today's guest on the program. Is that right? Yeah. You kept on asking me over and over again to invite today's guest on. Is that correct? Yeah. Do you remember a few months ago when I was putting you to bed one night and you looked at me and you said something about having hard questions about your faith? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, I think it kind of bothered you that you had some questions. And then you and I started listening to a podcast. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you remember what podcast that was? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And who is the host of the Unbelievable podcast, Caleb? Justin Briarly. Justin Briarly. And what does uh, he do? Uh, uh, he co- he hosts two guys uh, or girls. But yeah, um, they and then they have a discussion where like they try to explain their their perspective of the world. I think, mm-hmm. and there's different questions. I especially like the one where I'm pretty sure it's also named the Big Talk. It's where these two really smart guys do a discussion <laughs> the podcasts but I think it was on this one um, and he was, um, was explaining how like the dice roll every time mm. you roll like if you roll a six that's one out of six already if you roll a six again that's that's one out of twelve then you roll again. I think that might be a one out of 18 or one out of 24. depends on what you multiply it. But every time it gets harder and harder. Yeah. And was that an example of the chances of the universe actually forming all by itself? And it seems like that was one of the... Yeah. Yeah. So, Caleb, why did you want to invite Justin Briarly on this podcast so badly? Because I had some questions that I wanted to ask him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> I, I, was, I just wanted to walk here. Yeah. 
I want to introduce today's uh, podcast guest, and then maybe we can talk a little bit more about the reasons why here in a second. But today's guest is Mr. Justin Brierly. Justin is the former editor of Premier Magazine, the leading Christian magazine in the UK, in the UK United Kingdom. He's also a devoted husband, father of four, an Oxford graduate, highly sought-after speaker, an accomplished author. But the truth is, he's probably best known uh, for uh, being the host of a radio-slash-podcast program called Unbelievable for over, I believe it's 13 years. Is that right? Over 15 years, believe it or over not. Over 15 years? Well, it, it will be 15 years this, this October, believe it or not. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. Over 15 years. <laughs> I think you said 50. <laughs> not quite that long. Not quite He's 50. not that old. <laughs> Justin has been inviting Christian and non-Christian guests on his program to engage in conversations around, as he puts it in his books, um, in his book, Ideas and Objections Leveled at the Christian Faith. He shared in his first book back in 2017 that as the host of that program, the listenership had grown to over 2.5 million downloads per year. I'm guessing that number may have grown since yeah then. yeah we're, we're very fortunate um i think it's around four million downloads a year now that we we see on the podcast wow. which is which is great but uh that that's i should say that's kind of across the whole back catalog so it's not like there's four million listeners every week or anything but but it, wow. it's, it's but it's it's great yeah and and a lot of them in your in your neck of the woods in in the usa north america you know so yeah yeah there's nothing like it um, a quick Google search um, reveals that this program has hosted some of the most well-known Christian and atheist thinkers in the world, uh, names that you would probably be familiar with, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, N.T. Wright, I'm trying to think, John Lennox, there's quite a few people, some people from RZIM as well. Mm -hmm. And it's remarkable, really, what you've done, Justin. So I'm delighted you're here. Welcome to the program. Well, it, it's, it's a real delight and, and an honor to be with you, Janelle and, and Caleb. And uh, thank you, Caleb, for, for being the instigator of all of this. Yeah, um, welcome. Uh, I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm really honored. And I'm really encouraged, actually, that the program is uh, speaking to people of so many different ages, um, because that, that for me is, is hugely encouraging. Um, and you, I'm guessing you're, you're a very smart young man, Caleb, just because... Uh, anyone who listens to Unbelievable is smart anyway. <laughs> but um, but you obviously you, you're someone who enjoys those big questions that we cover on the show. So yeah, mm. it's it's great. And yeah, Justin, how old are your kids? You have four as well. Yes. So my oldest uh, was about a year old when we started the show. So he's he's going to be turning sixteen in November. Um, and then we have a twelve-year-old Grace. So our oldest is Noah. He's he's our fifteen-year-old. Uh, Grace is 12, Jeremy is nine, and Toby is our youngest. He's five. Okay. So. Do any of your kids listen to your program? <laughs> Probably only if it happens to be on in the car or something. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> not many of them purposefully choose to listen to it. I'm afraid they're probably not as, not as discerning as Caleb uh, when it comes to their <laughs> listening choices. But um, no, they do. They do. I mean, little bits and pieces, you know, and we quite, quite often, if it has kind of been on in the background or they've heard something, it'll spark a conversation and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 I think your program uh, has been a gift to my son. I mean, I can't speak for you, Caleb, but as your mom, it's been a gift for my son to be able to recognize that asking tough faith questions is okay and that mm -hmm. you can be a believer 
and still ask hard questions and wrestle with them. So your program has ministered to him, and I'm very grateful as a mother, not just well, as a host. Uh, that, so. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, as I say, I'm I'm I'm, I'm very honoured, delighted that, that that Caleb is a listener, and um, hope hope that yeah, that continues well into the future. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right, Caleb, you've got the first question there. So, how did you become a Christian? Great question. Um, so I, I grew up in a Christian family, but of course, growing up in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Um, mm -hmm. And and I really had to find my faith for myself. Um, and that kind of came really in my teenage years. I, I'd say up to uh, the age of about 14 or 15, I was kind of going to church because my parents went to church and, and I enjoyed it, you know, and I had some friends in the youth group. Um, but I wouldn't say it was something that was like really alive for me in my life. Um, so it was really um, kind of as, yeah, at about the age of 15 that I um, started to take things more seriously, started to, you know, people were asking, hey, were you, were you thinking of getting baptized at some point, Justin? And it was a kind of one of those moments where I was thinking, well, well what do I believe is, you know, do is, is this my faith or is this just something I've kind of inherited from my parents? And it was actually uh, particularly for me, there was one weekend when I went away on a youth kind of camp retreat and uh, I'd been um, helping to play guitar in our kind of youth group worship band and that kind of thing. And I just had a very powerful experience when my youth leader prayed for me this one evening where I just felt the presence of God in a way that I'd never felt before. And, and it impacted me very deeply that, that night. And, uh, and suddenly it was like um, the world turned kind of technicolor, if you know what I mean. It was like a penny dropped in my mind. It was like suddenly something was there that hadn't been there before. And, and I just had this passion that wasn't there before for God, for, for Jesus, for the Bible, for, you know, for, for exploring this faith and, and for living it. And, um, and that was kind of, you know, so for me, there was this very specific one night I remember where suddenly things came into focus. And I, I would say that was where my real, my relationship with God really began in, in a significant way. That's not to say that, you know, there haven't been many more points along the way that have been significant. And my faith today is, you know, has evolved in different ways, you know, has, has, you know, changed, um, in kind of terms of my appreciation of many things, but I'd say that was the kind of the starting point. That was where things really kicked off for me. And I suddenly I, I felt different. And I think people around me noticed it as well. You know, I think my friends, when I went back to school were like, Whoa, what happened to Justin? He's, he's suddenly talking about God all the time. Um, and, um, and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I always want to say when I tell this kind of a story, which is a very kind of like dramatic moment kind of conversion, that's not the way it happens for everyone. My wife, Lucy, very, very different. She, she would say that she's always just sensed that God's there and she's just kind of gradually grown into a kind of relationship with God. She didn't have any one moment where suddenly it all happened for her. But the point is we've both arrived at the same destination and, and however you get there, it doesn't really matter, actually. The point is you, you're both arrived at the point where you're trusting in Jesus Christ. And whether that's a one-time moment where suddenly everything changes or it's just a gradual development over time, the important thing is that, that you get there. And so for me, that's, that, that's important to recognize. Everyone has a different story in that way. But, but that's mine. It was quite a sort of dramatic thing at, at that moment. Mm. 
You talk in your book about being um, very fond of having conversations with people. Um, and you have a background in communications, I believe, you, drama and different things like that. Were conversations always an important part of your faith? Or um, is that something that's matured as you've gotten older? I think, yes. Um, I, I always wanted to kind of like Caleb, I, I was interested, I think, from an early stage in in the big questions. I I wasn't that satisfied with simply being told, well, you just have to believe it because, you know, the Bible says it or something like that. I, I wanted to think, I wanted to know why the Bible says it. And I wanted to know why Christians believe what they believe. And And I think it was particularly probably actually not long after I became a Christian, because um, that was during kind of my my A-level years, um, which is sort of, I don't know what that is in, in US terms, but before I went to university, essentially. Um, but when I went to university, um, I, I was started to kind of be surrounded by a lot more people with sceptical attitudes towards faith and Christianity. Not that I hadn't bumped into those before, because hardly any of my friends at school were Christians. But but nonetheless, it kind of it took on a slightly new level when you get to university. And um and I think that was the point of where I really started to engage more in conversations um, about faith with people who didn't share my faith and sense the need to, to have more of a, an understanding of what the intellectual arguments are for Christianity. Um, because I'd had a great, I had a, an amazing experience that was very personal to me. Mm-hmm. It was hard for me to explain that to other people. You know, if you haven't had that experience, then you, you, you're not necessarily going to experience the same beliefs but but I I began to see that there are interesting ways of um, looking at Christianity where actually there are things we can look at in history in science in philosophy that do give us clues to the fact that there's a God out there and that this story of Christianity is true and so that was really at university that that journey began but it was really through starting the radio show the podcast that that it take took on the life it has now of, of really seeking out those conversations on a weekly basis um and that's that's been very exciting to be able to to be able to host that kind of a conversation so frequently so tell us a little bit more about that podcast and radio program because not everybody would do what you've done which is to engage these conversations not what not just with people who share the same opinion as you but especially with people who are brilliant thinkers who think completely opposite of what you do, which Mm -hmm. some people would say that's quite risky. So tell us how Unbelievable came about. Yeah, well, well, it is risky. And I'll be honest, when when we first started putting the show out, not everyone was a fan. You know, you have lots of Christian radio stations in, in the USA. Really, our Christian radio station in the UK was the first and only Christian radio station in the UK. So there was a lot of sense of like, for some people, when I started bringing non-Christians and atheists and agnostics, people of other faiths on air to talk about their beliefs, um, a lot of our Christian listeners said, hang on, we, we want Christians on our Christian radio station, not, <laughs> not atheists. Right. Um, you know, we've got plenty of them on the BBC. Um, so what, um, and, and, and that was a challenge. And, but the reason I wanted to start doing that was because I felt like, well, look, most Christians in the UK, especially, they can't live in a bubble. They, they're going to have non-Christian co-workers, friends, family, school members, whatever around them. 
and and it's good to encourage christians with christian music and teaching and that community on air but we also need to recognize that most of us don't live in that bubble and give people the tools to have conversations and, and understand people where they are and so that was really the purpose of unbelievable was, was to help christians listening to it on a christian radio station to hear alternative points of view and hear a Christian responding to that and having a hopefully a civil, fruitful conversation and, and learn how they could go and have a similar kind of conversation in the process. But like you say, it's not a safe thing. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a risk. And, um, you know, we got some complaints. But... <laughs> Which in their defense, right, I just want to pause real quick. Yeah. I was reading in your book and as of the writing of this, which I think was in 2017, is that right? That's right. Um, 5% of people in the UK go to church on Sunday. Is that right? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. About a very that. smaller percentage, a lot more post-Christian thought yeah. across the ocean there. Yeah. So a lot of people feeling inward, like, let's protect this. And you're saying, let's, let's have these conversations. Absolutely. Because I think it's precisely because we we are in a small minority in a sense christians and churchgoers certainly in the uk is precisely why we need to be more equipped to have conversations because uh you can't live in a bubble now maybe up to a point when we're young and uh, as i had you know a kind of christian community around me through my church and so on but once kids are released you know into the the university setting and we don't really have, you know, as you have in the US, Christian universities. There are no Christian universities or they're a tiny, tiny minority. So you're, you're in a secular environment as soon as you leave, you know, secondary school education. And um, and I think we need to be do a better job of preparing our young people for for that. And very often um, it's I'd rather they ran into the arguments against Christianity in an environment where they will at least hear a decent response than to simply run into one and not hear or not know of a response. So, so even though it's tough um, and maybe the natural reaction is to sort of go into bubble mode. Um, I think we need to be a bit braver than that and step out and, and hear what the, the counter points are. Cause in the end, what I've experienced is I've been sat through plenty of shows where I've been made to feel very uncomfortable because I'm thinking, mm -hmm. wow, this guy's got some good points. Uh, I don't know, don't know what, don't know what my Christian guest is going to say now, but I'm, I'm feeling a little bit like, um, but actually over time, I think you, you, you learn actually how to respond, what the responses mm -hmm. are. You learn not to be afraid. You learn not to, you learn actually to be able to listen and not immediately sort of think, sort of get sweaty and think, Oh, this person you you learn a much i think more healthy way of interacting and responding um which is which, uh, which kind of is about really gaining confidence but that but most of us gain confidence by falling off the bike a few times before we can keep riding it you know there, there's going to be uncomfortable moments and that's just natural but but it's worth it in the end the pain is worth it in the end if you like yeah well and your audience grew it didn't just stay with those christians in the uk it grew to people who don't uh, mm. necessarily believe. Um, mm. I was just reading some reviews of your book on Amazon, and quite a few of them were from people who don't believe, uh, but still love your program. And it's interesting, when, when Caleb and I first started listening to your program, Justin, I didn't know that you were a believer. 
Mm. Um, and you kind of mentioned that in your book that sometimes people say that. <laughs> but the, the couple of episodes we watched, um, it wasn't real clear to me because you're so, um, how how would I say it? You're so careful to be to give both sides a chance to speak and to not um, put your own agenda in there, which I would think as a Christian, I mean, I'm, I'm a podcast host and sometimes I have people with different <laughs> views on here too. And, uh, that that's hard not to mm. share your opinion. So mm. do you ever feel like you're in, in your head praying and asking God, please give wisdom to whoever's speaking right now? <laughs> like, is that something you do or just in the yeah, beginning? Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm honest, you know, there are times when I, I, I'm thinking, you know, I have all kinds of different people on every week. And, and there are sometimes when I thought of the Christian guest, I wish they would say this right now. I wish they would take that line because that's yeah. the way I would do it. But I'm, I'm there, as you said, to be essentially a neutral moderator in those conversations. Just give each side the opportunity, hopefully steer the conversation in directions that are fruitful, you know, move us on if we reach an impasse, that kind of thing. And I think that's important because as you said, it's, it's a mixed audience who very mixed audience who listen to our podcast It's Christians and non-Christians. And I want both sides to feel like they're being given a fair hearing. Um, so you will hear me, you know, sometimes if I feel the atheist is getting the better, uh, maybe come in with a question or a suggestion on the Christian side, but equally, if I feel the atheist is kind of, you know, on their heels, then maybe I'll, I'll come in, um, uh, you know, on their side a bit and, and put some questions to the Christian. So, so I'm there to, to, to hopefully try and kind of create some sort of a balance to the, to the conversation. But having said all that, I, there are actually, if you listen through the entire archive, you'll find plenty of moments when my Christian colors clearly shine in some <laughs> form or another where, where I'm asking a question specifically speaking as a Christian. Um, and, and indeed, um, on the podcast, especially, maybe not, you don't see this so much on the video side, but on, on the podcast side, when I'm responding to some of the feedback that comes in and, and that kind of thing, uh, I'll, I'll inevitably be responding with with a, a Christian perspective because I, I am a Christian. Um, so, but yeah, for certainly for the interview section, for the dialogue section, um, I've always tried as best I can to, to, to be neutral. And, and I think that's been quite helpful in creating what, what one, one of my listeners calls a demilitarized zone for for Christians mm -hmm. and non-Christians to come together. It, it helps if, if you can make both sides feel welcome in that way. Yeah. Why was it like really hard for you to understand the spirit and like, and to believe? And when was it hard to believe? Yeah. Yeah. When did I run into kind of doubts about Christianity and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Well, as I say, university really was when that started to hit home. Um, and I went through, you know, quite a significant period of doubt, actually, at university when I'd been really challenged by a friend who didn't believe. And um, and it made me ask, you know, well, am I just believing this because I had some crazy experience, you know, when I was 15 years old? Is this all just in my imagination was my question. Um, and I think it's important to ask that question. OK. Um, uh, and what I started to do at that point was I started to read um, some, some really great Christian thinkers, people like C.S. Lewis, for instance, who has been a life, I've been a lifelong fan anyway of, of C.S. Lewis. So I kind of grew up reading the Narnia stories, but really as a, as a, in my late teens, I discovered C.S. Lewis also had this extraordinary gift of what we call Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. And, and he's got many books that you can read 
where he gives reasons why Christianity makes sense. And I read him and, and started to read others as well. And I, w- I was also blessed to actually be at Oxford University. There's a very strong Christian union there. Um, so student Christian union where um, they had great speakers and often addressed the kinds of subjects, you know, around difficult questions around Christianity and so on. Um, so that was a great help. Um, but um, it was so so that that period of doubt kind of came and then went again. And sometimes I find that things, you know, it kind of washes up and then recedes again. And and it's difficult to say exactly what happened. But I, I, I think there was just a sense that actually um, the the doubts receded a bit. And I felt like I had more confidence because I felt I had some answers to them. Um, I think, though it wasn't really until I started the unbelievable show that I really started to put the pieces together in, in a more kind of systematic way. Um, because what that gave me the opportunity to do was to just hear every week from Christians and non-Christians and all these different arguments. And, and I just started to see the themes that would emerge and I started, and this was kind of where the book came from. Really. I started to realize, Oh, that's an argument for God that's really interesting. And, and I think that's quite a powerful one. And, and that one I'm, I'm not so convinced by. But, but this, this issue over here, that's a really tough question for Christians. But, but here's an answer to that. And, and as I started to sort through that in my brain, I started to come up with a kind of, I suppose what I would call my, my own kind of way of, of thinking about the evidence for God and for Christianity. And, and that was where it began for me. I, I, and this doesn't mean that it proves it's true. I think a really significant moment in my brain was, was realizing you're never going to prove that Christianity is true, intellectually speaking. You're, you know, and I don't think actually anyone gets argued into the kingdom of God in that way. There's always going to be a mixture of the head and the heart whenever anyone comes to faith and comes to Jesus. But I do think there is good evidence for Christianity. So even though you can't prove it, you know, you can actually show that it makes sense. Okay. And, and what I realized is that we've all got what you could call a worldview. Now, if you don't believe in God, if you think of yourself as an atheist, some atheists say, well, I don't have to prove any, you know, I I just don't believe. So, so, you know, all of the burden of proof is on you as a Christian, who's making all these claims about God and Christianity, but actually in my experience, if you're an atheist, you do believe some things, okay? Because most atheists I meet subscribe to something, and it gets a bit technical now, but something called naturalism, which is the idea that all that exists is nature, is matter, um, particles, electrons, physical stuff, basically. That's all that exists. Now, if that's what you believe, you've got to show me why that's true. Okay, it's not just my job to show you why I believe there's a God and why I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God and died and rose again. Those are the kind of my beliefs as a Christian. But if you're a naturalist atheist, you also have a whole set of beliefs. And the problem is many atheists I meet haven't really thought about that fact. They haven't Mm -hmm. thought about the fact that, well, I I believe certain things. And how do I know that's true? So we've both got um, a way of looking at the world, if you like. And both of us have to decide which one is true. And what I found is that rather than trying to say, I'm going to prove God, the best thing in my conversations with with my non-Christian and atheist friends is to say, let's look at both our pictures of reality and let's let's look at which seems to best fit the evidence. Okay. 
Now, and that's where I begin saying, well, let's look at the universe. Science tells us it came into existence, this Big Bang moment, this extraordinary event that science has shown happened 14 billion years ago. Now, does that fit best with this idea that all that exists is nature, matter in motion? Or does it fit best with the idea that there's a creator God behind the universe? And for me, I have to say, I find the Christian explanation works better there because the problem is if everything came into existence, including matter, uh, 14 billion years ago, well, then where did the matter come from? Is that what you say all that exists? Well, actually, at some point it didn't exist. <laughs> it was like you're, there's, you're missing a step. There's something wrong with that picture of reality. There's something beyond matter that has to be there for anything to begin, for anything to get started. And equally, you know, you, you mentioned the dice video I've done. There's this extraordinary phenomena again in science called the fine tuning of the universe for life, where various physical constants and specific things about our universe, the, the ratio of electrons to protons in the universe, the um, force of gravity, um, the electromagnetism, all kinds of things had to be at a very specific, take a very, very, very specific value in order for chemistry to happen at some point in the universe and for life to exist. And it's, again, is it just pure chance? It feels like the only one, it seems like the only explanation on, on a naturalist point of view is that it was a chance event, our universe happening to come into existence in a way that could produce life. But given the odds against that, and I use this dice analogy to explain why it would be like rolling 76s in a row, which is like an unimaginably large number of odds to get just the right um, force of gravity, for instance, for things not to explode out into the universe or collapse back in on themselves. Chance doesn't make sense, but that's what the naturalist atheist kind of has to go to. Seems to make a lot more sense to say someone intended us to be here because the numbers just stack up that way. And that's just just a couple of a number of different arguments that you could point to where you build a case for saying, okay, which version of reality makes best sense of the data? And there's a stuff out there in science. There's also stuff inside me that I have to explain. Why do I believe human lives matter if we are just actually bags of chemicals? When do we boil it down? All of that stuff. And then I look at the actual history of Christianity, this person, Jesus, the claims he made. What I'm, you suddenly discover is some extraordinary evidence around his death and resurrection. And you start to put all the pieces of that puzzle together. And suddenly I find you've got a very interesting and quite strong case that Christianity makes sense of, but that it's much harder to make sense of on this naturalistic, atheistic account of the universe. So for me, it's about what best explains the evidence. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that doesn't mean that you're going to be forced to believe it, but it's certainly going to become an intellectually plausible option for me. That's, and that's enough. It just, it just makes it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled Christian. And when someone says, you just believe in fairy tales, you say, well, no, I don't. I think they, this makes sense. Um, so that is a really long answer to your short question. And I apologize because um, I've basically just compressed my book into, into that answer. But, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's great. Do you, I, I'm sure um, 
I know the answer perhaps to this, but I want to ask you anyway. Do you have people who contact you and say, you know, because of your program, um, I'm now I'm now a believer? Or do you have people who opposite of that write to you and say, because of your program now, I don't believe and you've given me a way out? Well, whichever way it goes, it's very rarely just because of my program. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, <laughs> people are complex characters and my program may be one facet in lots of life experiences and conversations and, and everything else that, that's going on for people. So, but certainly, yes, I, it's always very encouraging when I, you know, I am a Christian. I want people to believe in Jesus. Um, when I get emails or people say your program either helped me to overcome doubts or helped me to become a Christian or whatever it may be, or, you know, I went away from faith and I came back to it and your program helped always very encouraging now you're quite right janelle it the traffic doesn't only flow in one direction and i have a lot of non-christians and atheists who listen and you say i've listened to so many of your shows justin but nothing's ever convinced me to change my mind and that's fine i i'm i'm, I'm not assuming that that everyone's going to change their mind um equally there are some people who are kind of engaged with the show and they might be on a trajectory that's kind of out you know, kind of moving away from faith. And, and I have had emails from people who've said, I'm sorry, Justin, but I've, I've kind of actually moved away from faith. And maybe they, they felt more, yeah, the arguments on the other side were more compelling. Um, and that's the risk, you know, it's not, I'm not running a show where you only hear one side of the argument. It's, it's kind of real life in that way. Um, and of course, but I don't feel, you know, I could beat myself up every time I get an email like that. Like, oh man, why, why isn't everyone getting converted or going in the right direction because <laughs> of my right. show? Um, but I just kind of have to accept it, I, that I think it's worth the risk mm-hmm. um, that God actually is doing stuff, even mm-hmm. in the lives of people for whom they say, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I've, I've given it up or whatever. Um, uh, and it kind of just, add, you know, that's the realness of human life. People come to faith and lose faith and that's that is the reality you can't sugarcoat it so um so so i'm happy to exist in that kind of messy middle where people are coming and going and um and and just trust that god's working in the midst of it all and i'm just trying to do the best i can in representing both sides fairly and uh and see what happens you know yeah well i love what you're doing and um I've thought about doing something very similar. I I have a real heart for some young uh, atheists slash agnostics who have either lived in our home or who I've helped coordinate them staying in the U.S. And um, getting them to listen to this program is hard because it is one-sided, you know? And yet there's that part of me that I'm just like, oh, do I open up that conversation more? Um, I've had an atheist co-host at one point um, with uh, Brandon Cleaver from RZIM. And that was interesting. But later she just said to me, I'm not coming on again. (laughs) You know? And so um, how, I know that people listen to your program from both sides. Why do you think they keep coming back and listening to you? Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. I think there is a place, obviously a place for shows like yours where it's predominantly a Christian perspective. And I listen to loads of sermons, you know, cause I just right. want to be encouraged and built up in my faith. I love listening to, you know, Tim Keller sermons and 
other, other stuff. Um, I, I listen to plenty of other interview shows, which are just Christians. I, you know, I, I run one, you know, the, the Ask NT Write Anything podcast is another podcast I, I run. And, and we're very specifically dealing with things just at a Christian level there, because I think there's a really important place for just building Christians up in their faith and encouraging and, and learning and teaching. But, but Unbelievable occupies a kind of a unique territory where, mm-hmm. where we do that kind of and i think it's because it's somewhat unique in in the podcasting world though having said that i i I see lots of great other types of shows increasingly popping up especially on youtube of a a similar nature now but but i think the reason it has become popular is partly because um there there has been a thirst among a certain part of the population to hear these kinds of conversations and among the Christians who listen, I think they're the kinds of Christians who want to grapple with this stuff. Um, you know, pe- people like Caleb who who want to, you know, who maybe just feel like, I feel like I'm only getting one side of the story when I go to church or when I, you know, listen to this podcast or whatever. And and I think, um, and it's people who want to be challenged in that way and want to, to kind of, and that's a helpful thing ultimately for them to do. Um, I think a lot of the non-Christians, atheists and agnostics listen, you, you might wonder why, why would an atheist, you know, listen religiously to a Christian <laughs> podcast? You know, uh, you know, we are, I am a Christian. It is from a Christian media company. Um, and I think, I think the part of the reason is um, there's lots of atheists and agnostics out there who want to understand why Christians believe what they believe. They mm. might have believing spouses or in a community where that exists. I think there's a lot of people who've come out of a Christian background who can't quite leave it behind and, and feel like they need to kind of understand or want to question. They, they, they're not willing to just completely drop it. They're, they're, they're still, they kind of want some kind of engagement to understand things. I think there's a lot of people who just enjoy a good debate on these issues. They like the philosophical kind of argumentation and that kind of thing. Um, uh, there's, there's some people who i think are you know quite on the sort of hard atheist edge who who like see religion as a poisonous thing and you know they they're there to root for the atheists because they want to see christians you know um whatever i mean there's there's all kinds of reasons but overall i'd say most people who come to the show whether they're christian or atheist are coming for the same reason which is they enjoy hearing intelligent people just have interesting conversations and a lot of the sort of conversations we have, you, you, you know, are, are on the most fundamental kind of questions, you know, about purpose and philosophy and science and, and everything else. And, um, and I, th- I think that there's, there's a lot of people who see, see that the universe is remarkable and are, are willing and you know and even though they don't believe in god necessarily they, they're kind of open to the idea that if if someone could persuade you know if if there was the evidence there i'd want to know about it mm-hmm. so i'm going to come back and hear what william lane craig has to say or whoever it might be um and and see and uh, and yeah um that 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 i think is why the audience come back yeah i love it i want to segue to some different people that you mentioned in your book um one of them caleb why don't you ask the first question there why do you love c.s lewis why do i love c.s lewis um well i think partly because i did grow up 
having the Narnia stories read to me. So they, they kind of were, were very significant in my, my childhood. Um, or listening to them on tape in car journeys. Uh, that, that was another way. Um, and before I even really knew much about C.S. Lewis, I, I, I loved the stories he told. But then I had, I had the opportunity, actually, um, when I was probably not much older than you are, Caleb, to actually um, perform in a play about C.S. Lewis. So there's, um, it, it was subsequently turned into a film as well called Shadowlands. But C.S. Lewis was this Oxford Don professor of medieval literature, English literature, but who had this amazing ability to also write children's literature and wonderful Christian apologetics books. Um, but he, um, he met and eventually married a woman, an American uh, called Joy Davidman. And uh, they um, and the, the story of the play and the film is about the fact that she um, contracted cancer and the, the sort of intellectual and spiritual journey C.S. Lewis had to go on in confronting that. Um, and I played in this play his stepson, Douglas Gresham. And uh, so I got to sort of um, see C.S. Lewis's life through the the, this particular stage play and that that I think was quite significant in kind of opening up the, the person to me at a quite a young young age this person of C.S. Lewis and um, and then I went on as I say um, started to read in my teens and later teens some of his uh, books like Mere Christianity and Miracles and the Screwtape Letters and and so on and I just really enjoyed the way he put things I think he he was a masterful storyteller but he was also very very good at the use of analogy that's the idea of, of explaining something by um, likening it to something else um, so so he would say you know that um, I believe in um, Christianity in the same way I believe in the sun not just because I see it but because by it I see everything else and that for me is there's an amazing way in which he had a way with words where he could make a concept suddenly come alive with the way he he, he had this amazing imagination to, to be able to make intellectual concepts not dry and dusty and stay on the page but kind of come alive and and so I think all of that you know made me you know from from a fairly early age a big a big fan of C.S. Lewis yeah well I wanted to ask you about a couple other people that you mentioned in your book um one is Ravi Zacharias I uh, loved the episodes you did a few months ago right after he had passed away um, with several members from his team. Um, but he was never on your program. Why not? No. Part, honestly, partly because he was just a very busy guy. Um, and uh, you, <laughs> I was never quite organized enough to, to, to get hold of him far enough advance with his schedule, really. Um, mm. No, I mean, um, I, th I think it was just one of those things. I had many people from his organization on over the yeah. years and still do, Arzim. Um, but uh, it just never worked out. There were, there were some times when we were nearly there and nearly got a show together but something happened a schedule couldn't happen or whatever um and and it didn't happen but uh sadly yes Ravi's one of the ones that got away but uh the good the good news is you know I I I, I don't believe we've seen the last of Ravi you know I believe yeah. that we will there will be that grand reunion and um whatever that looks like um we'll be able to benefit from all of the best things that we loved about Ravi while he was with us here so, yeah. yeah yeah I when he passed, I thought, well, I'll get to see him in glory and ask him all my questions. And <laughs> of course, 
God will be there. So I guess I won't have questions. <laughs> Maybe I'll just have some uh, curry <laughs> with them or something. Um, somebody else that I wanted to ask you about, Bart Ehrman, a mm -hmm. famous New Testament scholar, a former Christian. You've had quite a few former Christians on your podcast program. Um, as a believer, are you sitting there thinking, man, just just believe. I mean, is there a part of you that just feels desperate, especially, especially as it um, pertains to people who formerly called themselves Christians? Because I feel, I mean, in scripture, it talks a lot about it's impossible once you've known to, to fall away. Um, how do you, how do you deal with that on a personal level? Because it, if I were having those conversations with somebody, I think I would feel burden. Like there would be a burden for that. Uh, and it's not that there isn't. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's in a way the cases of a, someone who was a very committed Christian and then lost their faith. I find that much harder to deal with than someone who's just a, an out and out right. atheist and has never believed because it is harder. I think for the Christian to understand someone who, who genuinely tasted, you know, or, or appears to have, you know, had that that faith that you and i share and and yet has managed has now managed to say no i, I don't believe i ever really it was ever really true that's that's really hard you know to 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 take and 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 and, and in a way is, is a much greater challenge to my faith than a richard dawkins who just says well mm -hmm. i i never believed it anyway um, exactly <laughs> so when 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 i encounter that i i, I can only say that person has had their experience and I'm not here to judge whether they really were or weren't a Christian. That kind of, I think a lot of people, Christians sadly do immediately sort of say that because it's, I think it's a way, it's a slightly defensive thing of saying, well, they can't really have been a proper Christian because you know, X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, I, I find that, look, I'm, I, I'm happy to take someone at their word if they really did feel like you know they were a christian and, and so on um god knows the state of right. everyone's heart much better than we know and i'm happy to leave that to god um the the kind of the judging of the heart is not something i'm i'm in any way qualified to do so i just take their story as as they say it and and just engage with it and i'm just happy to say well you've had a very different experience to me and um and you know when we get to the specific issues of a say a bar airman what was it that eventually tipped him over the line into agnosticism where he currently sits you know if you go down and, and get into the you know the long grass of that and, and ask the questions you'll probably find out oh well bart just had a really different way of thinking about this issue than i have you know that no that that issue never kind of there's never really been an issue for me i i, I don't see why that i would have had a different reaction in his shoes mm. to that and that's and, and a lot of this is because we're just different people. You know, there's just, uh, we, we are going to react differently to different situations. We've all got different life experiences. It's not that I've got some great piece of evidence that Bart Ehrman just hasn't heard about yet. Um, it's just that I, for some reason, I, that the evidence hits me in a different way to the way it hits him. Uh, the experiences I've had are different to his experiences, whatever it is. Um, and and you just have to accept that i think what we can do we we can still you know debate the issues we you know i've frequently have bart on opposite a believing new testament scholar where you know bart thinks you know his way and the new testament scholar thinks the other way um 
And inevitably, the way they're approaching the text is going to be coloured by their experiences. But I still think you can have a good debate on whether the Bible makes sense and whether, you know, um, and, and frankly, you know, it, what was interesting to me, especially, you know, the first time I had Bart on, um, he'd written this very popular book, um, sort of uh, critiquing the reliability of the Gospels, essentially, do we really have the words the original words of the New Testament and, and so on. And uh, and when I first read it, I, I was quite struck by it and thinking, gosh, that he's making some really good arguments here. It was one of those uncomfortable moments we were talking about earlier. Um, but what I quickly realised once I had him on with the other guests, Peter J. Williams, and they've met again since actually quite recently on our big conversation series, um, I quickly realised there, there are always two sides to every story. And um, a lot of the things that Bart was painting as real problems for christianity well if you just look at them in a slightly different way they turn out to be strengths actually for the bible <laughs> um you know he for one classic example is bart makes a big big thing in his book about how many variants there are between different manuscripts of the new testament over time and you know he says there are more variants between the manuscripts than there are words in the new testament and fine there are but when you look at it with a slightly different perspective you realize that's not necessarily a bad thing because one of the reasons there's so many variants is there are so many manuscripts and unlike any other ancient text of its time we have loads of copies of the bible uh, of the new testament documents over a, a wide span of time so just the fact you've got so many means there are going to be variations when people made little mistakes you also get the fact that vast vast majority of these variations make no difference whatsoever to the actual meaning of the text and thirdly um, you, you find that actually it's the fact that we've got variations that means the people who do the work of working out the originals can get back to the originals much better than they could without all the variations. It's actually a strength. It's, it helps them to work out what the original said, because we don't have any of the original documents of the New Testament. We don't have any of the original documents of any ancient work of literature because they were all written on papyrus that inevitably faded away and rotted. So what we have inevitably are copies of copies of copies, but we have copies that are very close to the original copies compared to most other ancient manuscripts. And we've got lots of them. And there's a very specific art of textual criticism whereby when you've got all these copies, you can actually work out by looking at the differences between them, what the original is most likely to have said and, and work out with a sort of 99.5% accuracy. So, when I kind of got my head around that, I realized there's always two ways you can spin a story. And, and actually what at first sight seems like, oh, lots of differences between all these gospel you know, manuscripts. Suddenly you realize when you actually look into it, that's actually quite, you know, surprisingly that that's lends a lot of credibility to the documents. So so it's, it's things like that. that. That's one specific example. And that's one example where there's a very clear kind of difference. Yeah. But I, I just I so so often it's about getting to grips with things sometimes changing your perspective you know there's lots of things where i've had to give up something that maybe i thought was the, the way things were supposed to be and realize the bible's more nuanced than that it's not as simple as that there's a you know um and that, and and that again is part part of the story it, you know as i said my my faith isn't the same as it was when i became a 15 year old um uh, convert but uh but i would say i've got more confidence than that the, along the way in in the core if you like truths of christianity as well 
Yeah. I want to ask you a, a couple more questions, but I have one more person I wanted to ask you about, and I know it's getting late. You've been so gracious. Um, and, and the reason, of course, is, uh, you know, Caleb was the big reason why uh, I eventually reached out to you, even though you're a busy person. And I said, hey, <laughs> would you ever be interested in coming on here? But the other reason I um, reached out to you um, is because a few years ago, a couple years ago, a friend of mine um, who's very much, I would say, very similar to me, we're, we're both feeling type of people. Um, when you're talking about all these different logic and arguments and different things, and I've had people on here who are apologists and um, who have all these reasons, which are fantastic reasons. And sometimes I'll pull something like what Caleb uh, said, you know, about and what you shared about the dice, you know, I'll think, man, like, <laughs> logically, this makes sense, you know. But for most of my life, I'm, I'm a feeler. It's experience, like what you're sharing. And I've found that as I want to share my faith, part of the reason I have uh, people come on this podcast who think differently than me is because it's a great way to share faith. But the experience um, is very personal. And I've had these amazing spiritual experiences that there's no other explanation for in addition to, you know, the logical things that I can also share with people. Um, but a couple of years ago, a friend of mine said, uh, something along the lines of, I watched this thing on Netflix and it was this illusionist. And he, um, he was talking and he recreated this whole spiritual experience. And then he, he pulled the wool over their eyes and he basically uh, faked a faith experience, faked a healing experience for people and, and made a claim as a former Christian that, hey, look, this is all fake, right? And I, I faked you. Um, and that so disturbed me. And if I'm honest, Justin, I think part of the reason why I don't do what you do, which I find so fascinating and honor it so much, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I think part of the reason I don't is because of how much of a feeler I am. And if any person has come on your program who has challenged, who I think would challenge my own faith, um, it's the person who says that that thing it's all psychological. Now, I have a master's degree in psychology, right? So I, I can understand the psychology behind stuff. Um, but you have nothing but grace and kindness when you speak of the very famous illusionist, Darren Brown. You've met with him. He's been on your program, I think, a couple of times. How do you reconcile um, what I, I imagine is, I mean, this is what I feel when I think of him. I think I'm sad for him, but then at the same time, I'm almost angry or discouraged by what he's doing for other believers, which is saying, this is all fake. And, mm. um, and I know you've been to one of his shows, so would you share how you, how you deal with that? Because I'd love to know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so I went to see the show that you, you're probably referencing that the Netflix version is, is kind of the, um, yeah, it's the same stage show, essentially. It was called Miracle. Um, and, um, what Darren Brown says that he was doing in that, um, is essentially, he, he was very clear in the interview I had with him afterwards. He said, I'm not here to pull down people's beliefs, um, genuine faith, you know, and so on. He said, I'm, I'm here to kind of expose the hucksters and the charlatans and the people who use faith, use religion to kind of make money basically. And in a way I'm all for that. You know, if there yeah. are people out there who are genuinely kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes and doing fake miracles and 
you know, just using it as a way to make money, then I'm all for Darren Brown exposing them because that's, that's wrong. Um, um, but at the same time, I left that show having a very similar feeling to you, which is, whoa, if Darren Brown can inspire all of these feelings that we so often, you know, would assume are kind of God feelings um, when we're in, when we're, when we're having a moment, you know, in a church service or we're, we've had, you know, some experience, you know, charismatic experience or whatever, or, or believe that, you know, we've seen healings or we know people who've had healings and so on. And yet Darren Brown seems to be able to replicate that on stage. Um, uh, it, it left me feeling like, whoa, what, what's going on here? Um, and again, it's an uncomfortable moment. And, uh, but it's an, a moment we kind of need to face. And firstly, we need to face the fact that I think Darren Brown's doing something important, which is saying, not everything you feel is necessarily, you know, verifiable. It, it could be produced by your emotions, by, by, you know, heightened sort of adrenaline and that kind of thing. Fine. That, that is true. And I think we need to be honest with that. And we need to actually be careful. I think it's a really good warning to Christians to say, let's not rely too much on the smoke machine and the, you know, the, the ooey music to kind of get people in the right mood. You know, how much are we relying on that stuff sometimes in our worship services when we should be simply saying, if God's here, God's here, you know, and, and we're, we're going to, okay. So, so, so partly it's that, but there's also the part of me, which is actually let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater either, because we're all, we are emotional people. That's the way we experience things. And there's no reason God would not choose if God exists. It's, perfectly understandable if god chooses to work through our emotions as well so let's not assume that you know every emotion therefore can simply be put down to pheromones and chemicals and that kind of thing um because as i say you've got for me that the the best thing is to have the balance it's not to believe in god purely on an emotion experience nor do i want people to believe god purely on an intellectual experience because both are sides of a coin and when you bring them together that's when I think you have something which is which is really good and fruitful. It's when you've got intellectually, you know, intellectual reasons for believing, but you also you you've got something which you can actually makes a difference in your life. You know, that isn't just an abstract intellectual argument, but where you believe that you're sensing God, you're feeling God. There's so much, and 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 for me, it's just about walking that line. And um and to some extent, um, you know, it was really interesting because. I know people who have been healed who would say they had had a miraculous healing. There have been many, many, you know, go and read a, the, the two volume book miracles um, by, I'm trying to remember who it's by now. It's gone out of my head, but. Um, um, Did he write no, it? no, no. The, the, he wrote a book called miracles, but oh, there's actually. Eric Metaxas. No. Well, he wrote another good book on miracles, but um, <laughs> what I'm thinking of, uh, oh, it'll come back to me in a moment. Um, I've, I've got it on the bookshelf somewhere here anyway. Um, but it was just a, a huge sort of, very well documented to massive volume academic study on you know the documentation of miracles around the world and and i just when i look at something like that i i i it simply beggars belief that every single one of them is is done by some kind of uh, emotional manipulation or whatever you can get those results by emotional manipulation i i'm sure i absolutely you can darren brown is a very good illusionist and I think what's also really important to understand whenever you're looking at something Darren Brown's doing, what he's doing on stage isn't always what he says he's doing. Okay. That I, I spoke to a couple of other magicians who know met Darren Brown around the same time as I did that interview with him. And they said, 
Yeah, I know he says it's mind control, but there's a lot of illusion going on as well. <laughs> um, and and I think so. I think it's important to, to to just take it all with a pinch of salt anyway. When mm-hmm. Darren Brown says I can just reproduce these same things, well, you can if you've got a dark stage and a lot of things going on that we can't see, Darren. Yes, but that's actually <laughs> not what most Christians in a normal environment where they're praying for each other have going on, actually. And also just the fact that if everybody who claimed healing actually hadn't been healed and turned out their leg was bad again the following day because the adrenaline had worn off, then maybe there'd be something in it. But the fact is we've got lots of cases of people who have had permanent cases of healing and you can't then just dismiss those as, you know, I just had an adrenaline rush for one night. Um, And interestingly, when I spoke to Darren, he himself said the bizarre thing is some of these people who I've had, you know, do, do my version of healing on, they've had permanent results. And he said, and I don't understand why that is because <laughs> it should just fade off. Um, so, so it, we are a complex mixture of psychological, emotional, intellectual creatures. And the fact that Darren Brown can do stuff like that doesn't, in the end, it didn't really bother me. It just made me realize, yeah, we're, hu- we're human. We're kind of, but it doesn't explain everything. It doesn't, for, for one thing, it simply doesn't do any anything to the actual intellectual arguments for God that exist. Um, it may cause us to be wary of simply going with every emotional experience and, and especially wary of, of when those things can be manufactured. But it certainly doesn't in any way explain the vast majority of experiences I have had where I would say there's a genuine some, something God thing is happening. Um, and... Um, and, uh, and and so I, I'd say that's that's the thing, you know, that I would hold on to is to to not um, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and it's interesting to me because Darren Brown, especially in the second conversation I had with him, which was a little bit of a remove from that. I had him in conversation with an Anglican priest and uh, Darren Brown didn't come across as a Richard Dawkins style atheist at no, all. No, I watched part of that interview. Mm. He was very actually, he was very cognizant of the fact that um, we all need a story to live in mm. and that it's really important psychologically for us to have that. And, and I think he recognized that for a lot of people, Christianity has been an amazing way of bringing, making sense of the world and society. And I don't think he actually particularly wants to rip that away from people, even if he doesn't believe it himself anymore. Um, and actually, I think he, he has a deep respect for people who have a very thoroughgoing faith. In fact, as he told me on that program and, and in private, one of his best friends is a lifelong Christian um, who he has the utmost respect for, mm. even though he doesn't believe what he believes. And um, and I, so I think, yeah, so it, it's important to, to, to say what you see on stage isn't always what you think you're seeing on stage as well that's that that I'd say is is yeah pretty important yeah well I have one final question but Caleb do you want to ask your question real quick uh how can people find how can people find you online Justin okay very easy uh if you literally just google Justin Briley unbelievable I'm sure it'll come up with the web address uh but our show page at our website is premierchristianradio.com forward slash unbelievable 
or you can search up unbelievable on YouTube and you'll get lots of our videos there. Uh, and again, search unbelievable on, um, or Justin Briley, unbelievable on, uh, Facebook, Twitter, you should find me too. So those are the ways to. Yeah. Well, I especially, I mean, I've loved the ones that I've listened to, but I think my favorite so far has been the one with the Lisa Childers and Lisa mm. Gunger. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, really interesting show that one. Yeah. Yeah. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love. Those are all four. It's actually five, but I couldn't narrow down the R. <laughs> there, it's a, an acronym for real. Things that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love. Which of those things stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Wow. Um Probably, yeah, the redemption side, because, um, I mean, we're living in a crazy time right now, aren't we? Um, <laughs> and and it's a time when we're sort of having to really dig deep, if we're Christians, asking what's God doing? Where's the world going? What are we supposed to be doing in the midst of all this? And how can we make a difference? And, and I do believe um, God is a God who is telling a big story through the whole of his creation through the whole of history and we're living in one little bit of it it's a very interesting scary moment that we're living in but i do believe god has purposes and plans and that ultimately that is a, is a redemption plan and that everything we're going through now will make sense one day there, there's going to be a reason there's going to be a, a way in which we can be part of this story of redemption um and so for me, the challenge for me is, is finding the ways to be God's redemptive person, you know, a person who models what Jesus did and said in this particular moment that we're, we're living through. Um, because it's so easy to get caught up with the fear or the culture war or the, the kind of, we're all going. <laughs> the fire yeah, down the street. <laughs> yeah, we're all going to hell in a handbasket and whatever it is and think, the only way out of this is politics. The only way out of this is all healthcare. Mm. The only way out of this, you know, and there's nothing wrong with all those things, but the pro problem is actually none of them are enough and they always let us down. And, and we, yeah. you know, for me, it, we've got, it, we've got to get on our knees and we've got to ask Jesus to, through his Holy Spirit, move powerfully through us, through others in this world and see his redemption happen. And that, I don't know what the time frame is for that, um, but that's where we have to trust and just be faithful Christians, continue to do what we do to be his hands and feet, salt and light in the world. So, yeah, for me, it's it's being part of that redemptive story, even when we don't know what the next steps look like is 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 what kind of I've been. That's the one that's been going around in my mind recently. Yeah, it's so good. Well, thank you so much to Justin Brierley for being on the podcast today. I know it's late there in the UK, and I just really appreciate you taking the time. And It's been great to meet you both. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, we appreciate it. And uh, Caleb, thank you for co-hosting with me. You're welcome. <laughs> Until next time. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled, Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. 
I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live awkwardness. (laughs) And finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review, or sharing a link. Your telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ loves you, and a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you believe it.